Well, greetings, church family. We're excited for another time online, being together uh, for a chance to worship. And so I encourage you to kind of pause what you're doing. Don't allow this just to be background noise, but choose to engage and worship with us now would be fantastic. You 
Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us, and thank you so much for joining us online. We hope and pray that our time together is just a blessing for you each week. Well, as always, we as a staff, we love praying for you. We actually find it a privilege to be able to pray for you throughout the week. Uh, and you could text your confidential prayer requests uh, to 97,000. Uh, you can text them now, tomorrow, throughout the week. Uh, we find it, again, uh, just an honor to be able to partner with you in prayer. So send those to 97,000. Well, we have a lot going on at Agora Bible Fellowship. And, and if you're interested at all in finding out more information about our weekly happenings or our various ministries, our website is a fantastic place to start. And you can visit us anytime at agorabible.org. And lastly, our ongoing uh, ministry is, uh, is possible through your generous financial support, and uh, we would be so grateful if you would consider uh, preferably uh, making a donation. And you can do that on our website under the Give tab. Well, before we dive into God's Word, let us pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for this church. We thank you for our ministries, Lord, and we thank you that uh, you're a faithful God. And we just pray, Lord, that over the next few minutes, Lord, that uh, you just speak to us, that you uh, open our ears and our eyes in this passage, and that uh, you nudge us uh, to what you want us to get out of it, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are, and uh, it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks again, church, for joining us online. And we're continuing in our series, working through the life and story of Joseph. And as I was getting started with this, I was reminded of kind of a fun experience I had the last couple of weeks uh, where I had a chance to go to the LA Zoo for the very first time. I went with my uh, father and my son. So three generations <laughs> represented at the LA Zoo. Had just a really good time. I, I'm somebody that actually enjoys animals and just kind of experiencing all the things that are uh, there at the zoo. And we noticed, I usually would take time and just kind of check out after looking at the animal, would read a little bit about it. You know, the plaques that they have uh, below them, usually giving the animal's name, a little bit, a few details about it, usually a scientific name underneath that. That doesn't make any sense that you'd never use. One particular deer, I don't know why I chose to look at the sign. We uh, wasn't a very interesting animal. In fact, kind of, kind of one of the ones that you're like, how did this thing make it into the zoo? It seems kind of boring. And I, I looked on it and, uh, and it said, gave the type of deer that it was. And then it said, but we call it, this is what it said on the sign. It says, but we call him Crazy Carl. And I'm like, where's the scientific name? Like, how did this deer, what did the deer have to do at the zoo to adopt that nickname, Crazy Carl? I don't know, whatever it was, it must have been pretty cool. We joked about it the rest of the day. We didn't see any other nicknamed animals, no other Crazy Carls in the zoo. Something about Crazy Carl set him apart. You're like, man, what an intro, Pastor Scott. <laughs> Where are you going with this? We, as Christ followers, somebody that's walking with the Lord, as you know, we talk about it uh, fairly regularly, about this idea of being set apart. Today's message I've entitled, When Temptation Comes. 
The reason set apart and when temptation comes actually relates is because often what sets us apart the most is how we choose to deal with temptation in our life. Now, last time we were together in the Word, we were in chapter 37 of Genesis. Then in chapter 38, there's kind of a strange thing that happens. There's kind of a a pause or a detour, if you will, on the story of Joseph and actually takes some time at looking at Joseph's brother, Judah. But it's an interesting study, if you dig into it a little bit, we're not going to today. It's an interesting study on the difference of someone that's being influenced by their environment or someone that is influencing their environment. Unfortunately, Judah fails the set-apart test. Unfortunately, he goes the wrong direction. Now we're jumping in chapter 39, back in the story of Joseph, and we're beginning to see that he was set apart, and there are some decisions that he made that established that. And most of it, as I do this study, and maybe you can identify more, most of it was how he related and how he dealt with temptation in his life. I want to give a a little bit of a a warning for those of you that are maybe watching this as a family. This is a a little bit of a PG or PG-13 in content as far as this story goes. It's a a, a powerful one, though, in dealing with temptation. If you remember last week where we left off, he's been just through the the ringer. Joseph has been beat up by his brothers. His brothers that were jealous of him has been thrown into a pit as if that wasn't bad enough, actually sold as a slave and then taken to Egypt. There's something that starts to shift in the story. You may remember last week I mentioned that it was like a biography where it's just covering all the details of what took place. In this week's text, It begins to be transformed, less looking like a biography and a little bit more looking like a testimony because you start to see God's fingerprint in the story of Joseph. In fact, four times in this uh, chapter alone, chapter 39, we're told that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. It keeps repeating that idea that he's not alone through these trials, through this season of difficulty in his life. However, the thing that I see what happens in this text is it shatters a misunderstanding that we often have about God. We often associate if God is near, then things should be going well. In other words, if, if God's close to us, then everything, he should be just kind of uh, coming up roses in our life. Instead, we see just the opposite, where it gets confusing to us when we first look at our circumstances, they're going bad. We often assume God must be distant, but Joseph shows just the opposite, that as things are getting miserable in his circumstances, that's when God's drawing the closest. That's when he's present and moving In his life. It's a powerful picture of how God works in the life of his followers. It's not really very uh, conducive for the uh, health and wealth gospel, doesn't preach well in the prosperity gospel environment, but it's definitely a picture of how God works with those who have chosen to follow him. I'm excited to dive into this text. Let me just pray briefly before we do. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word. And I'm excited for these lessons that we're going to learn on temptation. You can learn so much from Joseph's life here as somebody that demonstrates a, a walk that's above reproach, a walk that's honorable to you. We know that these subject matters are very real and very active in our world right now. And so we ask that, we'd, uh, be, that you'd be present and moving and that those listening would choose to, to lean in and gleam from this story what you have for us. We invite that now in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm going to start right here at the beginning of chapter 39, and it's kind of an update of what's going on in Joseph's life since arriving in Egypt. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, we hear it there, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he, had, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Wow, this is a pretty powerful recap, almost a, a little bit of some positive that you're starting to see in this situation. But if you think about it, this was not at all positive for many years for Joseph. Joseph had been sold into slavery, been sold into slavery to the ca military captain in Egypt. You imagine what that life would have been like. Describes him as captain of the guard. That would be like the head of the secret service. It's easy when we're reading scripture and you're just going from chapter to chapter to have a tendency to do a little bit of a, a time crunch, but 11 years have passed since he was first sold into slavery. So he's 11 years in Potiphar's house. You imagine that would have not been an easy transition and how much time took place as a slave. Think just for a moment, where were you at 11 years ago. That would have been 2010. A lot has taken place in the past 11 years. This would not have been an easy transition for Joseph. Imagine this sheltered, trust fund kid now in the position of a slave and having to learn a new language, having to discover a new culture, having to figure out what is life like in Egypt. But Joseph is a great example of someone blooming where they are planted, someone that's thriving where God has placed them. And it's pretty interesting. You start to see rather than him running from the situation, he chose to, to dive in and do his best to honor God in his circumstances. Now he's starting to see blessing in everywhere he turns, whatever he, he does. And make note of this, that when the Lord is with you, God, when he's, when he's actively working through, through you, the people around you take notice. 
They've realized this. They recognize that there's something different with this guy. That was demonstrated in favor. That was God, God was giving on all of the different things that he touched. So much so that his, it says his master saw that the Lord was with him. The blessings of Joseph ended up rippling over to Potiphar. And he's like, man, it doesn't take a lot of uh, smarts to realize I want to be around this guy and put him in charge of things. It says all the way to everything up until what he even ate. So here, uh, as we see a non-Christian drawn to God in him, he demonstrates how somebody thrives when you're under or in circumstances you'd rather not be in. The first thing, just two things I wanted to highlight here is how you, how you thrive or how you bloom where you're planted. The first thing is he refuses to go the route of bitterness. He refuses to go to the route of bitterness. So many people would say, man, if there's anybody that would be justified in getting bitter and angry, Joseph would have been that man. He had a lot to be frustrated. He could have shaken his fist at God and been frustrated. But the truth is, we don't see any glimpse of that through the entire story of Joseph. There's no getting angry with God. And we know and we've seen even in our own lives where that takes people. Have you ever met somebody that's chosen the route of bitterness that you're like, man, they just really represent God well. In fact, just the opposite. Bitterness shuts down the work of God in our life. You don't cross paths with a bitter person that you're like, man, they're especially kind. Look how compassionate they are. Look how forgiving they are. Just the opposite is often true. And for us, bitterness is a choice. We decide whether or not that's the direction we're going to go when things don't go the direction we'd like to see them go. So first thing, he refuses bitterness. The second thing I notice in this section is he goes the extra mile. He goes the extra mile. This is also a choice whether we realize it or not. Now, it's fair. It doesn't mean that we're called when we're in bad circumstances to be like, okay, well, I'm just going to stay here and suffer. Now, it's appropriate to change the things that you can, but the things that you can't change to say, all right, God, this is where you have me, and I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. I'm going to thrive in this environment. I like this one author said, he said, said, when you're in those situations, commit to do more than asked and better than expected. Commit to go the extra mile to be the, the one in your workplace. You're like, man, I don't like this job. Well, go the extra mile anyway. Choose to not go the route of bitterness. Do above and beyond what's expected. Another author said, to be paid more, do more than you are paid for. Again, to be paid more, do more than you are paid for. Going the extra mile. Now, there's part of us, as we're reading this account, we're starting to say to ourselves, finally, things are, are working out for him. Finally, he's getting a, 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 better, uh, a better deal. He's being elevated. Finally, there's some, some good news in the story. Let's see how it plays out. Picking up in the second half of verse 6, now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So he's a good-looking dude. It says, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. And he has put me, uh, 
uh, put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house. There is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. <laughs> she needed that reminder. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Let's pause there for a moment. So there's a lot. I told you this was PG. There's a lot going on. This woman's obviously not very subtle with her attempts to to flirt. What if she goes straight to the lie with me? She's not talking about taking a nap. And it wasn't a one-time appeal. So we're told that it was day after day. This was a persistent temptation in Joseph's life. And like any sexual sin, the battle would have been in his mind and not an easy one. This would be difficult. If you think about what's happening here, as a, as a slave, Joseph was not allowed to take a wife or to be married. And so it is his mind, I'm sure he had to process through, this could have been his one shot to have sex with a woman. The, the, the rationalization in his mind would have been going like crazy. He'd be processing through, maybe this is the only opportunity that I may ever have. But truth is, those of us that walk with the Lord realize that there's Potiphar's wives, there's Mrs. Potiphar's out there in all kinds of forms, all kinds of ways, even present day. It might not be somebody specifically asking you to lie with them. It may look a little bit different, whether it's lingering after work and having a drink with a coworker, whether it's looking at images on your phone, whether it's a second or third glance at somebody in a restaurant or at a bar. Either way, we have choices to make with sexual temptation. We have choices to make. And yet you're, you have decisions to decide. And we can learn a lot from Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife. The first thing and biggest thing that you'll notice is the fact that he counted the cost. He counted the cost. He called it betrayal. He called it what? He said it was a great wickedness. To me, it's interesting the timeline of this, that he refers to it as a great wickedness. This was long before the Ten Commandments have been given to Moses. So he's already identified this as wickedness, even before it's actually identified from God as wickedness. But each one of us is given in our, our heart, we're giving a, a, in our mind a, a conscience that tells us this is not right. This is betrayal. And it's fascinating that he recognized that it wasn't just betrayal against this man. It's a sin before God. So he took time to pause. A lot of times that's the biggest mistake that we make is we don't consider or count the cost of our sin. And truth is, Sin is a liar. Sin promises big and under delivers. And it never ever warns us of the ruin that will follow. I'll say that again. Sin never warns us of the ruin that, would fo that will follow. I respect a pastor by the name of Randy Alcorn. And some 
years back, he created this list, and it was a list that he had jotted down. He'd taken time as he's looking across the horizon of different pastors that have moral failures, and he'd made this list. I've uh, hung on to the list in my mind, and I was revisiting it even this past week. He made this list to help pre-assess the damage that's caused by sexual immorality. For him, the list, some of these things would be on him as a, for a pastor that wouldn't be on your list. I want to just read through those briefly. First thing on his list is kind of pre-assessing the damage. He says, it would grieve my Lord, displeasing the one whose opinion matters most. Second, closely related, dragging into the mud Christ's sacred reputation. Third, having to one day look at Jesus in the face at the judgment seat and give an account for what I did, for my actions, my choices there. Fourth, forcing God to discipline me in various ways. Five, suffering of innocent people around me who would get hit by the shrapnel of my sin. Six, the untold hurt to, and he left a a blank there for his wife's name, my best friend and loyal wife. Seven, loss of, and again is room for his wife's name, respect, her respect and trust. Number eight, hurt to and loss of credibility with my children. And he left room for their names to be written in. Nine, if my blindness should continue or my family be unable to forgive, I would lose my wife and my children forever. 10, shame to my church family. 11, shame and hurt to my friends and especially those I've led to Christ and discipled over the years. 12, guilt that would be awfully hard to shake. 13, loss of self-respect. So not just the respect of others, but respect of myself, discrediting my own name and invoking shame and lifelong embarrassment upon myself. Plaguing memories and flashbacks. 15, disqualifying myself as a preacher, 16, forfeiting certain opportunities to serve God. 17, laughter, rejoicing, and blasphemous smugness by those who disrespect God and the church. 18, similarly, heaping judgment and endless problems on the person with whom I have committed adultery with. 19, possible disease that could uh, bring pain, an active constant reminder to me and my wife of my deeds, possibly even infecting her in the case of AIDS that may even cause death. 20, possible pregnancy with its personal and financial implications as well as the stigma to the child. I took time to read through those because I think that's a, a critical exercise for each one of us to count the cost to hit the the fast forward button, not just before sexual sin, but any temptation. Where is this going to take me? What path is that going to lead me to? What is the outcome of my choice? I'll tell you what, one of the best defenses against temptation is the ability to assess the impact that it will have on our life. And Joseph does that. He doesn't just think from out of response. So often we respond to our primal urges and do what we feel like doing. Instead, he takes time to think through it, count the cost. 
what happened there? You got to ask what happened to this, this punk 17 year old that was, that was busy narking on his brothers and antagonizing them. Where did this maturity come from? What I would, propo- would propose that difficult times, the hardship that he had faced, the 11 years as a, as a servant, all of a sudden produces, and the same thing happens in our life, all of a sudden it produces a maturity and a godliness and a dependence on the Lord that we see demonstrated from Joseph. And ultimately what he says there, he points to the fact that how could I do this to my God? doesn't even say, how could I do this to, to, to Potiphar? He, instead, how could, I, how could I do this to my God, the, the one who I love, the one who provides for me, who cares for me? I couldn't do that moving on. So he chooses, he had a lot that we, can, that we can model ourselves after there. See how the story plays out. Verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work, he's just a hard worker, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought, a, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his, until his master came home. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Wow, pretty sad account there. Notice the words that it starts with, but one day. His life is going along pretty well. He's seeing all kinds of favor. He's seeing lots of good things. He's, he's been elevated to an unbelievable place, but one day. What we realize, those of us that have lived longer, we realize that so often, but one days come along a number of times in our lives. Days that you know from that point forward, things are going to be different now. Things are not going to be the same. This is going to change the trajectory of my future. Joseph, in this situation, recognizing that this was one of those moments, makes a choice. He makes a choice. Instead of trying to work through and talk her out of the situation, what are we told that he does when she grabs his cloak? Told that he, he flees. He runs the opposite direction. Picture that scene. He's like, I am out of here. And what does he leave behind? His coat. Why does his robe always seem to get him in trouble? In this case, he leaves the coat behind and unfortunately leaves the ability for a story to be spun. But too often, we learn, can learn from this, too often we linger in a place that we shouldn't and we know it's only going to get us in trouble. Being around certain people, we know it's not going to end well. Being in certain uh, situations that you know is not going to be well. That's why scripture is real clear that we're to flee temptation. So he sets the precedent for that in the New Testament, even before we're challenged with that word. 
He flees, he runs, he gets himself out of the situation. He treated her like the threat that she was. I remember my daughter, Alexa, when she was either four or five years old, we had uh, for a season, my wife was a resident director at a university and we had in the, the dorm life, we had di different times in the course of the year that we'd have to do fire drills or tornado drills. And we knew as the, the leaders in that situation when those dates were coming and when the timing of that was, we knew a tornado drill was coming up. I remember us, we had decided even before bed who was going to get which child. My uh, wife would get Sienna, the baby at the time, and then I would go and get Chase and Alexa and get, move them towards the downstairs. If you're not familiar with tornado protocol, you'd go downstairs and you'd get in the, the hallway and you'd kind of duck get away from windows, pretty intense situations. But here is funny because I remember going into the hallway to get my daughter Alexa once the alarms went off. Soon as the alarms went off, I was grabbing Chase at the same time. My daughter Alexa, she just opens her door and starts booking it down the hall, heading out of the house all by herself. We're like, Alexa, slow down. She was, she was determined. She was getting out of there. She didn't have a plan. She didn't know where she was going. She didn't bother to check in with mom or dad at age four. She was just out of there heading for the hills. We had to pull her back and rein her back in. Hey, we got a plan here. But here I kind of like that idea because I think that's the picture of Joseph. The, the, the threat was real. I need to get out of here. I, I can't gamble with this. I can't, I can't depend. And that's unfortunately a lot of times what we do in our areas of temptation. You know what? I'll, I'll just resist. I'll, I'll do just fine. I heard a pastor talking about that. He says, it's like a magnet hanging around next to a fridge and hoping that it's going to end well. Nope. Unfortunately, what happens is that magnet gets stuck. Same with us with temptation. It was better for him to run. She didn't like being rejected as we see based on her response. What we learned last week from his brother is the same exact, exact thing that we see here with Potiphar's wife, that hurt people hurt people. In this case, she makes up a story and she makes it a good one. She, she, she really lays it on thick, both with the household workers and then with her husband uh, coming home. They saying that he's laughing at me or other translations making sport, basically two pictures of someone mocking or making light of them. Notice she shifts the blame to her husband whom you have brought among us. In other words, it's your fault. I'm in this situation. Look at his response in verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. Seems like it went from, from bad to worse. You're like as if it wasn't bad enough that he was a servant. Now he's being moved to the, the, the king's prison. That would be, I imagine, a pretty intense environment. Nobody's getting out of the, the king's prison. So he's moved from slave now to prison. And for what? For doing the, the right thing. No, the, the right thing is uh, to, to run. He, he made the right choice. Why is he landing in prison? And that's where it gets confusing, as I mentioned at the beginning of this talk. Often we assume when we do the right thing, things are going to work out great. If God's there with us, and when we're honoring him with our actions, then our circumstances should turn out for the best. It should, it should be a good outcome. 
but instead we see just the opposite. But I want us to notice what it says next while he's in prison. But the Lord, verse 21, was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The Lord made it succeed again, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. Often we're disillusioned with our, our actions, thinking that they should result in a preferred outcome. But really, if we understand what it means to be in the presence of the Lord, we realize that is the preferred outcome. His presence. He doesn't promise that our circumstances are going to go great and that there's going to be necessarily a, a good outcome when we do the right thing. But instead, when we choose to go that route, the even better thing is his presence. He's with us. He walks close to us when we honor him with our actions. It's a beautiful picture of actually what matters most. Imagine just the opposite of this. If he had the best circumstances, but God was distant and had nothing to do with him, that's not what we're looking towards in life. Instead, true life comes with the presence of the Lord. The Lord was with Joseph. It's an interesting look here at how favor works in the text. It's a wonderful thing, I suggest, for someone to pray for. When you have the Lord's favor, it's not something you can pat yourself on the back for, something you've done, but instead it's favor that the Lord gives you with other people and blesses you and elevates you. It's a perfect thing to do to pray for, for impact in the lives of those around you. I suggest or commend that even in your week ahead. Lord, give me favor in the different environments I'm in. Give me favor in the workplace. Give me favor at the gym. Give me favor with my boss. Give me favor with my family. It's a beautiful thing where God is celebrated because he's the giver of favor. And that's exactly what happens here. It says that the, the, the false charges carried no weight with the jailer because he recognized the Lord's presence in his life and he elevated him even within the prison. That's the promise that we have. Not that we get to skip the prison experience, but the Lord will be with us if we release the outcomes to him. If we trust him with the outcomes, do the right thing. As I think back of years and years of different counsel I've given people over the years, probably the most common counsel that I'll give somebody is say, I'll say to them, and if you've spent time with me in counseling, you've probably heard this. I'll say to somebody, I'll say, listen, you do the right thing and you let the chips fall where they're going to fall. You want to be able to put your head on your pillow at the end of the day and know that you are above reproach and the things that you could control you are able to influence, but the things that were outside of your control, you're turning over and you're trusting the Lord with the outcomes. That's the appropriate response that we learn from Joseph and is demonstrated in a powerful way in this text. So wonderful lessons 
about how we stand out. I'm not talking about being crazy, Carl. I'm talking about being set apart for the Lord to elevate and glorify. Bloom where you're planted. Count the cost before sin when temptation is coming. Choose to run and then release outcomes. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this section of scripture and how relevant it is to the tugs that each one of us has right now. Even as we think through the different circles that we're in and different things that are appealing for our affection, our time, things that we know in our heart of hearts that don't honor you, I pray that you give us the strength to, to put some of these things in practice, to slow down, to stop and assess, to, to think in advance about the potential outcome of our choices instead of just acting in the moment. Instead of staying in a situation, choosing to flee, choosing to, to run when our circumstances aren't exactly where we want them to be, choosing to dig in anyway, working hard, honoring you, choosing not to go the route of bitterness. I thank you for all these great lessons from the life of, life of Joseph. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my
All right, church. Well, thanks for being a part of this online service. Hopefully an encouragement, a blessing to you. Maybe some challenges as it relates to temptation, how we can be set apart, standing firm for God's honor. Have a great week. As we mentioned, any way we can serve you, always feel free to reach out. God bless you.